How's everybody doing? This is your host, Marco Quay. For the 99 Celsius podcast this week, I wanted to take the opportunity to pay homage to all of the wonderful mothers listening. Thank you so much for your contributions. We love you and happy Mother's Day. The year is 99 and it's 1009 on November 2nd. The day is young and we leave at home, it would change the seconds. En route to elections, show me how to vote. You spoke, you hope the system wouldn't betray us. And leave your son Jay dead, we rode down. Live your ad past Burger King. I should've asked to stop there, grab breakfast and stop time. But to be fair, we were living out our destiny. Thank God he fastened seatbelt for me. Couldn't tell me it wasn't meant to be. By the grace of God, we were meant to see his miracle. When we crashed, our car was totaled. Tongue stayed with blood, your neck and pain thought life was over. But you're a soldier. Remember when you told the EMT, don't bring me to Robert Wood. Don't want to see colleagues laughable when you think about what's real important. Your playful ways, despite the pain, describes your aura. So here's an altar, your strength, your love, your grace, your power. Here's your flowers, take a second and smell them. God is at the front door and it's knocking for you. The sunset in your family, they waiting on you. You get the retirement that you dreamed of and you finally get to go home. I get to see you in your zone. It all worked out, mom. We should have known because you deserve it. Okay, welcome back to a very special episode of the 99 Celsius podcast. I have with me a wonderful guest who has been asking and inquiring about this podcast for some time. And so I'm excited to bring her here to talk about her journey on this wonderful weekend of Mother's Day. With no further ado, my mother, Miss Frida Akwe. Welcome to the 99 Celsius podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> this is really a big surprise in a way, um, but I'm happy to be here. How you doing? I'm doing good. You look nervous. I am. I am. I'm very, <laughs> very nervous. <laughs> Why are you nervous? <laughs> because, Mark, I haven't done this before. Yeah. And, um, but it's good to try. I think I'm going to be able to relax as we go over yeah okay so yeah no I mean, I'm I it's gonna be yes why is it because i just haven't done it before and right. i know with every new thing comes anxiety that's true so um we'll see how it goes yeah hopefully i'll be more you know used to this kind of interview yeah there you go yeah <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, like you said, it's natural to be nervous. Um, mm-hmm. Something that I've been saying a lot of this year when I talk to people is, I say uh, this phrase, it's just emotions. And the reason why I say that is because emotions are what make us human. 
and they're normal. They're a part of our lives every day. And we should actually be worried when we don't have emotions. So when we're not sad or we're not happy or we're not scared or we don't have anxiety, that's when we're in trouble. The emotions of being anxious is a natural feeling. So understanding that how we're feeling is normal and natural in that moment and embracing that and then saying, okay, you know, now that I know that this is a normal thing and everyone would react that way in this scenario, then you have the choice to choose moving forward. How are you going to react with that emotion? So even me, like today, I've been nervous kind of putting this off all day because, you know, I think we're, we're going to have an opportunity to have a discussion, a conversation that that goes deeper than I think everyday conversation goes. And so uh, it will be cool to uncover information uh, <laughs> through discussion. But I think even me, there was some anxiety. But realizing this is how I'm feeling now doesn't have to determine the decision I make, you know, moving forward. So um, I'm cool. I'm glad that we, we got to, we're getting in to sit down and do this. So tell me about your day. So first of all, today has been wonderful. Waking up and seeing you here very early in the morning like that, I was like, whoa, there you go. My boy is home again. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a good start for me. Then I had to do a couple of things outside. Had to pick up something real quick from the grocery store. And, you know, come make you some nice food because I understand you're living by yourself and it's not always that you get the opportunity to cook something more home-like, you know, mother's dish. So we did something tonight. We had a good breakfast, right? Yeah. And we had a good dinner. Yeah. And here we are trying to tape this show. Yeah. <laughs> You and are, I'm excited. You had a little concert you were at, too. You forgot about that part. Do you remember the concert that we just did? Which concert? On the computer. Oh, yes, 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 You know yes. what I'm talking we about? watched it with the ladies. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Erica Badu, right? Uh, huh? Which is the one with the... Yeah, you Erica just said it. With the, yes, uh-huh. yes. What was her name? Erica Badu. There you go. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Erica Badu and Jill Scott, we, we watched the versus competition, yes, or the versus battle yes, tonight. Yeah. So I uh, got to introduce my parents to that. That was cool. Yeah. What do you think? I, thought that you, was, I, I think that was fine. That was out of the ordinary for me because yeah. this is, hasn't been my routine <laughs> style. But, you know, this is very good. And that tells me that change is a good thing. It is. Because it does bring emotions out and you feel good yeah. to have a change in your life. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I, I remember growing up the I think the amount of technology that became accessible to us specifically for our generation from the time I was born and as we've grown I think the uh, you know the kind of things that are available to us with the mobile phones and and all of that is definitely different than the way times were before but I always think about how with you guys with you know you and dad you have much more comfort with technology now than, you know, maybe four, three, four years ago. Oh, yeah. And I think that, like, things like WhatsApp have made it really possible mm-hmm. to be more comfortable, and that's been cool to see. Like, I feel like now you're you're more comfortable with technology than before. 
a whole lot comfortable. You can just imagine when <laughs> this whole computer stuff came out, right. right? And we were like, no, I only use my phone for to answer calls and make calls, and that's it. Yeah. I don't want to hear anything else. I don't want to WhatsApp. I don't want to, you know, Google, whatever it is. And I remember there was always a fright and an anxiety, hidden anxiety be you know, behind everything, and you will be wondering, can I fit in? Can I fit in? This is a new technology. Yeah. And we're not used to that, right? So as time went by, learning from you guys, we call you, Mark, come and help me out with this. Z, help me out with this, right? Right. And you guys were wonderful because you really tuned us into this. You gave us help, and now... We able to WhatsApp, mm-hmm. <laughs> use the phone for so many other things, right? Yeah. And then and at work, that was another challenge there for me, right? Having to learn this new system in nursing, and everything was being computerized. I had no choice. It was a challenge, but thank God today, I'm able to sign on, sign out, and do what I have to do, right? So that's a good thing. That's yeah. a good thing. For sure. <laughs> Okay. So uh, I always give some kind of backstory in relation to how I know my guest. In this case, mm-hmm. uh, you're my mother. So <laughs> uh, I, I, we, you know, I've known you my whole life. Yes. But um, I thought would, it would be interesting to talk about the first time that I, I mentioned the podcast to you, um, because I remember that day and we had a, a quick discussion about it and then the way things have progressed recently. So um the first time I remember talking to you and dad about it was the day I was leaving New Jersey to head to Ghana. So mm-hmm. I it was the day before my flight. I stayed in New Jersey. Well, I came home to pick up some things, and then I stayed in New York that night. But when I came home, I brought microphones and some equipment with me because I took it on my trip because mm-hmm. I wanted to start the podcast journey over in Ghana. Mm-hmm. So as I was packing my bags... Um, had these big boxes and I was unpacking them and trying to get them into my backpack. And I remember you asked like, you know, what are you doing with yeah. all this equipment? Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I'm going to do a podcast. And so we had a conversation about what a podcast was. Mm-hmm. And um, I think uh, you guys helped me take the the microphones out of the box and we put them in bags. And so I was able to fit everything in. And, uh, and I brought it to Ghana and I was able to record successfully. So uh, episode zero of the podcast was actually recorded in Ghana. I didn't know whether or not I was going to record there, but having the opportunity to start something where you all were born, you know, something that's important to me, and it's all about the process and the journey, I thought there was something symbolic about starting it in Ghana, where, you know, before even I was born, the reason why I'm here, those origins came from Ghana mm-hmm. with you and dad being born there before coming to the States. So it was nice to be able to start things there. Um, and also the fact that I was that trip was able to be productive in a sense was nice. So coming back to the States um, and finally putting out the podcast after working on it for some time, uh, I've had some conversations with you where... Mm-hmm. When it came out, you asked about it and, you know, I showed you the, I think a couple of the first episodes in the intro and some other ones. And then uh, recently you called me and you had heard some other material and we talked about that. So it's, it was really nice to see 
you know, sometimes when you make things as a as a creator or an artist, you never know how it's going to resonate with the people around you, not just in the world and not just with strangers, but even sometimes the people in your life, you don't necessarily know, you know, who will take to what. So it was cool to hear, you know, certain stories that resonated with you as an audience member. Yes, I do. And um, what happened was I was going over my emails and then I did see the podcast. So I said, well, let me try and listen to. So I asked you, I called you actually and asked you to test me the link. Mm. And you did. And I said, let me listen to what is going on with the podcast because I knew you had put in a lot of work and I've been hearing hearing you telling me what you've been doing in Washington, in Maryland, trying to get this thing together. So I said, well, there's nothing much I personally could do for you than to encourage you and also to listen to you and give you my feedback. Yeah. So then I played the first episode. I didn't know. I think that was your ninth episode. Okay. Yeah. And I said, oh, my God, that was a great, great work. <laughs> the, I could not believe it was you who was talking. You understand? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you understand when a mommy-baby relationship and you always look at your child like, even though they are grown, but you think that they're still under your care, right. sort of, yeah. right? And I'm saying, oh, he's so matured. <laughs> You know, and that was <laughs> a big eye opening yeah. for me there. Yeah. And I was so proud of you. And I said, well, let me call Mark and tell Mark how I feel. And I would like to hear more of his episodes. And so that's what happened with what I felt about. But you have honestly put in a lot of work in this. And for this short time, I did not even know you could do this. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, I think this is wonderful and um I wish you more luck. Yeah. Good luck. And uh I know your perseverance is what really is, is a characteristic of you, Mark. And I don't know if you remember even your childhood, if you wanted to do something, you always did it. Mm. I'm yeah, telling I remember you. that. Yes. <laughs> you always did it. Yeah. When you want to do something that's Mark, you get to it. So I didn't have any doubts that you were going to do it, but I didn't know you could mature so much easily into this uh, career or talent. Yeah. So thank you. I wish you the best in this <laughs> and just keep on going. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, before we jump into the journey piece, um, the one of the reasons why I wanted to do this specifically this weekend is it's Mother's Day weekend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I thought it could be a really good opportunity to tie you into what, what I'm trying to do with telling stories and talking about the journey. Um, and I thought the timing would be really nice to do it, to commemorate that. Um, so happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. I and, appreciate um, it. This, you probably are not expecting this, um, but before we jump into to the content, I wanted to ask you, as you reflect on Mother's Day, and what it means to you as a mother. Um, I also was curious to know as a child what Mother's Day means to you. I know growing up, um, you know, you had only had a, a short window with your mother growing up. And so, you know, when you think about Mother's Day, what comes to mind? And, 
you know, what are some of the, the memories that you have with your mother? So that's a very interesting question and uh, an emotional question for me in a way because I had um, lost my mom very early in my years. I was just uh, 17, 18 years old when my mom died, right? I was just out of high school in Ghana. And my mom had died from postpartum hemorrhage, which was when she was going to have our fifth um, uh, sister or uh, sibling. She had a difficult labor. And um, I would think that it wasn't really taken good care of because I believe that when you're having your fifth child and if you have difficulties having the baby, they should rather have chose an, another option as to having like cesarean section, right. which would have saved their life better than having the person go through complete labor and having the baby that was one stillbirth and then causing the life of the mother. Right. So when my mother died, when she went to the hospital to have the baby, she was healthy walking on her legs. You know, she walked by herself. I actually accompanied her there. And um, she was in good health, talking. And so for me to learn that, she just died just like that from the childbirth just the following day when she was in labor. I mean, that really devastated me yeah. and all my life because I was also the firstborn of four siblings then, right? Mm -hmm. And oh, I had younger, and I had a four-year-old. My last born was four years old at the time. And I had um, a sister who was two years younger than me and a brother three years younger than me. So you could see what kind of um, devastation this whole situation is. So, and when I think of Mother's Day, for me, from being, for my mother, I really not have too much time with her because that was early. Yeah in my years, and I was also in the boarding school at the time, mm -hmm. in high school, but mm -hmm. in the boarding. So I have never really had so much of that motherly, uh, what, no, I wouldn't say affection, because there's affection in a way, but in terms of uh, uh, intimacy, you know, being yeah. really truly connected. Right was not a hundred percent because when I was also in elementary school, right? That was before high school. I was in the boarding school most of the time. Mm. So I was always away from home. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So thinking of much I always say to myself, I wish I had better moments, you know, with her. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything, is there a particular moment that you do remember, one that brings you joy? Particular moment that? That brings you joy? 
when, that when brings you think me about joy your with my with mom. Your mother? Yeah. Oh, yes. I remember very well that she used to read to us when to me when I was young. Yeah. She did a lot of storytelling. There was always a story that I could remember the story that beautiful stories. She would read bedtime stories to us. We used to have a lot of bedtime books. And she would read that to me. She would tell us stories. Very, very compassionate. My mom would do anything, anything for a very hardworking lady. Even though she died at 38 years old. She had all, even though she has, I mean, five, four of us, right? But still, she was able to own her own home. She left something behind for us. So you could just wonder if at 838 and you are well established. You know, yeah. think about it. Yeah. She must have done a lot of hard work to get to that point, Absolutely. right? Because most of us at age 38 are probably even in the middle of the life or we not even maybe just shooting up, springing up, right? Yeah. You haven't done much. But for her, sometimes it makes me believe or think that maybe that was a journey, mm. you know? Yeah, like it was, so, it was supposed yes. to happen that way. Yeah, because at 38, she had four kids. She had her own home. She had put certain things in place. Who would do that at age 38? Yeah. So I had joy to think about Mother's Day especially yeah. when I remember my mom. However, never forget that vacancy is still there. I'll never forget her. And then I became a mother too, and that's very <laughs> exciting. Yeah, absolutely. For me, Mother's Day is like I think of you, I think of Xenia, you are all I have and everything, you know. Yeah. So it's a pleasure to me. It's comforting to me to have kids and um, being able to nourish my kids, to raise them up and seeing them now today the way I want them to be, having good jobs, successful. I'm so proud of it and I couldn't be any thankful you know, more thankful to God. Yeah. And uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's powerful. Um and I think shows showcases a lot of strength to be able to navigate that period of life uh so early for, for really for her and also for you being the oldest of four of three siblings. Mm -hmm. Or I guess the oldest of four, but you had three siblings and um, having to take on the responsibility that exists to to now be a leader, leader in the household um, and to provide some of the comfort and other areas of assistance that having a, a lacking or um, the, the absence of a mother mm -hmm. in the household may have posed. So... Um, I commend you on, on navigating that and <laughs> um and I'm glad that you found some peace within to be able to still see Mother's Day as a joyous occasion, uh, even in the midst of some of the traumatic experience that uh that may have existed. 
I want to go a little bit further back in the journey um, with the 99 Celsius podcast. We really look to highlight the full spectrum of a journey and knowing that success or achievement, happiness, anything that's the end product is never just the beginning. There's a process that it takes to get from point A to point B and highlighting all of that journey as a part of what we find is special in understanding the lives of people that have achieved things. So as we reflect on your journey as a nurse, as a mother, um, as a survivor of an autoimmune disease, we I would like to to go back to the beginning before any of that was obvious, you know, before you knew how life would play out. I would like to ask you about childhood. And you talked a little bit about your relationship with your mother and you highlighted being 18 and losing her, but what things come to mind for you when you think about hobbies or interests that you may have had at that time and just what life was like in Ghana growing up? Life in Ghana is different from life, is different from life here. Uh, children at that time, we, we lived in an open concept, meaning that our homes are very close to each other. Friendship was a very common and uh, fundamental uh, value for a lot of uh, children my age. Even if you did not get, if you were from a home, you get your basic training from home, but you also make friends. And we were so much involved with knowing each other around the neighborhood, playing together, sharing things. It was more like a community, living in a community. More so than uh, here where in this country that you have children, it's all like a cool system. Everybody in their homes, right? Right. And then you make friends, but our friendship, there was more community and like a brotherhood or sisterhood type. We were more close to each other. We breathed more. There were no walls between our homes. And uh, there were a lot of families that would be so close to this door neighbor that sometimes you call them family as well, even though they have no blood relation. Right. But that kind of, that nurturing environment is what I remember a lot. Growing up um, in my own home, I was um, the older of the four siblings and I took a lot of responsibility at that time. You know, if you are the older, you get to do most of the things first. You get to do the house chores, <laughs> which sometimes you don't want to, but you are the older, so you have to do it, right? And if there's anything that happens in the house within the siblings, you are the one who gets the lashes because they say, oh, you should know better. You mm -hmm. should be able to control the little ones. So more or less, I was always in charge of something, right? Mm -hmm. Being the firstborn role model. Um, I had lived, I, I mostly lived in the, in the boarding home, like I was telling you, in my primary through middle schools, 
before I even got to high school. So I remember the painful part of boarding homes. What was that? Well, oh, because there was that isolation from home. You would be taken to a home outside the community, right? And you live there. And I remember I used to cry so much when my mom left me. Mm. After the every time when school reopens and we go, she would sometimes it's hard for her to leave herself because she stood there and she looked at me. And I was a very small, maybe I would say around um, maybe age 11. That's very early, yeah. right? But it's not a negative thing because as I can tell today, it's made me what I am today because I have a very strong, um, what am I going to call it, um, strong willpower and motivation. I'm able to stand on my own and do what I need to do. And I think that trait for me is because of the fact that I went to the boarding home, away from home, and I learned survivor skills from there. Right. And that's what I think that have navigated my life even in this country. So what was behind the decision to choose boarding school for you at such an early age? I, well, that was, I would say at the time in Ghana that um, the whole concept of boarding homes was um, to allow the children to be able to survive, to learn how to survive on their own. Mm. So a lot of parents would send their children to boarding homes to make them better. It wasn't a way of punishment in any way at all, but it was acquiring skills, surviving skills to navigate life. Right. So if you would compare people who, children who went to boarding school then, you would know that they, they are able to stand strong so there was an independence factor. Independence that, factor. That was built at a very early age because of enrollment into boarding school. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And you mentioned it being difficult emotionally because of some of the disconnect that it caused between uh, your, yourself and your mother um, or maybe even other family members. What things do you think may have suffered um, because of the fact, you know, that you weren't... Um, you know, able to be at, at home, what were some of the, the, maybe the missing elements that existed that you may have been interested in having more of? I think I would have loved to be more, to be home, to participate with my other siblings in times of like um, occasions, you know, just navigating childhood. Right. Yeah, I don't think I've had that much because I was always in a structured environment, you understand? Yeah. And uh, you had people who were taking care of you and not your own mom or your own dad. Yeah. Yeah. So when you came home on vacations, what was that like? Was it easy to reconnect with the family? And uh, what were the depths of those relationships once you'd get back? 
not not much of a, a. I mean, when I came home on vacations, it was a happy times. I know there were a few times, you know, occasion that you had a fight with your other siblings, mm-hmm. of course, because you felt that maybe they were getting more of the attention at home, or they've had all the attention at home, right? And you have missed everything. And you come back, you expect maybe to be the one to be with your mom all the time, right? <laughs> but you know that's not possible. Right. Exactly. So those moments were moments that uh, were kind of a little challenging. But you had you had no time to, to grieve those times because the moment is passing, you have to go back again to school. You need to do what you need to do, and your focus is not even on those factors. Yeah. Because life is always going on, and you just need to keep going. Right. So maybe you might even not have the chance to think, to relate to that. Do you, when you reflect on it now, though, as an adult, are there... Are there connections that you're able to make now when you think about, because it, it almost sounds like there was a, a large level of independence and also being wired for survival. So like you grew up, you had a lot of responsibility, you need to take this on and, and that's just what, that's what the reality is. So we yes. have to do it. And we have to go to, you know, I had to go to boarding school because I had to become independent to be able to do more for myself. And that's just what the reality yeah, was. Absolutely. And I may have not been feeling connected or got what I maybe needed or wanted in the house during breaks, but I need to get back to school because that's school goes is. on, right? So, I mean, having that re kind of reaffirmed over over years of of building a mentality where you're strong and able to navigate life circumstances, but maybe doesn't build in the reflection necessary or the introspection. Yeah, I think one 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 very noticeable thing is, I would say, being wired to survive, I always make it anywhere I work. Mm. It doesn't matter to me if I had a, one friend or I didn't have any friend at all. And I would not, when I... When I'm I'm at work, I would not care about making friends. I wouldn't make friends if they want to make friends with me. If no one wants to make friends with me, to help with them, mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that kind of attitude, I think, I might have acquired from that childhood uh, challenges. Right. Yeah, because, and I think it's a big survival skill for me. And I think I've been able to live in every community without a problem. Yeah. Because I I did not I did not have that feeling of anybody who didn't like me or wasn't my friend, so I can't continue to do my work. I am just doing my work. Yeah. So in a way, I like that in a way, because that has been my survival my surviving skill, even to live in this country. Right. So it helped you navigate. It has helped me things. navigate life much easier. Are there thing? Are there aspects that you think you would have benefited from in having some balance? 
So not necessarily overhauling or losing all of the survival skills, but in having some survival, but then also getting some of that nurturing that you were looking for. Like, what do you think maybe would have came out of that? That probably would have made me more balanced in a way. Uh, in a way of being a little bit, little bit more emotional and... Uh, See, I'm very emotional, but then I'm also very strong. I don't know how you would put that. I can be crying and still keep going. Maybe not emotional. Maybe emotional is not the word. Do you maybe mean sensitive? Maybe. Maybe I may be more sensitive to... Or, sorry, you are emotional, but maybe what you are seeking or wanted, if you got, if there was that element of balance, may have been... Access to more sensitivity. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that that that, that sounds more like a, the word to use. Yes. Sensitivity. Yeah. Yes. Was yes. your mother a sensitive woman? You know, honestly, I don't know. I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. What was your relationship with your father like? My father was in a different. Uh, my. Uh, I am a product of a divorcee, okay? Um, my mom and my dad divorced very early also in life. It's, I would say I was, that was my first year in college, in, in high school, sorry, my first year in high school. And I know my mom had told me, called me in school and said, when you're coming home this semester, come to our house in Usu. Don't come to, don't go to Kanishi. That's where we used to live in Ghana. Right. And my question was why? She said, when you get home, I'll let you know. So that semester, College, um, high school was over. That time, semester was over. Pack my stuff. Get get a transportation and went back home right to Osu. So that's where my mom told me she's no longer with my dad. And uh, so we never went back to Kanishi. How do you remember feeling? It was hard. Sometimes you think, was this something that you did or you didn't do or what it is or what it was? But, you know, back then in Ghana, there's no explanation for my parents, you know. They didn't have to explain too much to the children, mm. you know. They didn't have to explain too much. And, oh, okay. So, well, children, you see your friends around, you just go and start playing. So maybe it was something that would be depressed subconsciously, right? right? That you might not even know if it's having any effect on you or yeah. not. It was suppressed. Yeah, yeah. suppressed. Something that's suppressing your... Subconscious. Subconscious. Right. That you might not even know that... It was a factor, not a factor. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Did that uh, change your view on marriage at all? How? 
it did not change my view at all. It didn't change my view because I saw some a lot of I had friends who that were also coming from the same had the same situation, where their parents were getting divorced, where their parents are not living together or are divorced, right, or some single parents. So okay, so then maybe my question is, if that was what all of what you saw, then did you have confidence in the idea of marriage then? Because it sounds like you were seeing a lot of um, examples of where marriages were either broken up or parents weren't together, they were separated, et cetera. And, and then... So did that become the expectation almost of what you, it just kind of, that's how you felt that partnerships and marriages may go? For my, for my, um, I would say for my home, marriages hasn't been that, that successful in a lot of ways in a way. From people... From family members, I heard some had, some didn't have. My perspective on this was that I would want to make a good home. And I felt like with marriage, if you get a, a good partner or you get a, 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 a compatible partner, you might be able to make a better life or better partnership. So growing up, I knew that if I had to marry and I marry, I would marry and I would, I didn't put what I've seen ahead of to say that it didn't work for my parents. So I'm, I didn't have that fear that it might not work for me. No, I didn't okay. have that fear yeah. because I believe that everybody is different and comes different situations in people's lifestyle. So I cannot say that because my mom's situation was that I was going to have the same situation. Right. So I was prepared to give it a chance to work in any way that I could. Right. So with that philosophy, you were open-minded to the idea of that. And I believe, I, I guess it was pretty, you were still in school when you ended up Meeting your spouse, right? Yes, I was actually in um, nursing school at the time. Okay. I was in nursing school. I believe I was uh, almost at the second year in nursing school. Okay. Before yeah. we, we touch on that, what was behind the decision to decide to go to nursing school? Oh, that is wonderful. I always had this compassion to care for people. And then I was always interested also in nursing because I seen nurses and the way they wear the uniforms was just fantastic. <laughs> you know, that was <laughs> when they had the apron on and they had the cap on and their uniform. So somehow my intuition was always to, to, to be a nurse. I had two things actually that when I came out of high school that I wanted to do. I wanted either to be a nurse mm -hmm. or to be a dietitian. And so discussing that with my parents, with my mom, right? And she would say, 
oh, it's nice to be a dietitian, but I think to be a nurse is even better, right? Because she told me, she said, nursing is a better profession because wherever you go, you are able to work with it. Even if you go to a land that you can speak English, you still will be able to do nursing, you know? Yeah. Okay. So she did she did tell me, I think it's better for you to go to that to go towards that direction. And I loved it already. It's been my I knew it's right from like something that was given to me <laughs> at birth. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like absolutely. when you have your own inside feeling that is telling you that this is you are more I felt like you're calling. Like a calling. Yeah. To do nursing, so that's how I ended up doing nursing. And there was never a point where you looked at it and you were uncertain about whether you made the right decision. Yes, I've had some challenges. I've had challenges in the work. Did but so did you have those challenges? I guess as you were a student, or did those come later? Oh, that was later. Okay. Now, as I was a student, as a student, you felt just, fully confident. Yeah, you made the right, the right yeah, choice. As a student, I was full confident. I went through my nursing um, education, came out, got my license. I had never questioned because there was that passion and compassion in me that I always wanted to give out to take care. of of the sick. Yeah. And anytime, and that was more, that, that, that felt like a gratitude. I felt gratified when I saw, I took care of a patient and they up and they, they are, they going home and they discharge. I'm so, I had an inner feeling of, boy, I did something good, right. you know? So, it was, but there are times after I have started my my career and working, there are some times, because it's a very stressful job yeah. as well. It's a lot to give when you, when you are at the end serving people's needs, especially in health situation. Right. So there has been times that I wonder, and I say, oh my, couldn't you couldn't I have done something else? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like right now, you know, you look at the COVID situation, right? And you go like, oh, man, this is tough. Yeah, It's a tough calling. But on the other hand, you have that inward empathy that tells you you got to go on and that's what you swore your oath to do. Yeah. And you keep going. So, in a way, I'm I'm glad. I'm always glad that I'm a nurse, okay? <laughs> you know that. Yeah. You know that. The other challenges with that is having to work on weekends and stuff like that, on Christmas, right? And you know that affected you guys also. I'm sure when I'm going to work on Christmas Day, you'll be like, oh, my mommy be home. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the other parts of those are the challenges. Right. Yeah. So you, towards the end of nursing school, is it that you you end up meeting, uh, dad? Yes. Okay. And so when you get married, are you uh, still in Ghana? 
we were still in Ghana, yes. Okay. I was still in Ghana, but he was here. Right. So we had to, I had to do the, he had to sponsor me, and I did the paperwork and everything and joined him. And I think that was 1982. So I joined him then, 1982. And I've been here, did, um, sat for my nucleus examination, and then I, I took my, some courses and took my iron um, license here, and I was practicing. And that's what I've been doing till today when 1982, 84, then I had Xenia. Right. We were living then in New York City, in New York, right? We lived in New York, actually in the Bronx for a while, and then we moved from there to Queens. And then from Queens, we moved to New Jersey, right. to North Brunswick. So during that period of time, you know, from the time you got married and moving into this brand new country, what was that transition like for you? Oh, it was not easy. <laughs> it wasn't easy. Yeah. Because coming to America was quite different from Ghana um, in a lot of ways, in every way, most of the time, most of the situations, right? New in this country, you have to learn um, what your survival skills came in, right? I had to do a few things. You have to do a few things here, like paperwork in terms of job searching and everything else for you to get uh, a job, get acquainted to this place. Even And it was so different that even going to, if you went to order food at a restaurant, that was a, <laughs> that was a big challenge because back then in Ghana, we didn't have something like, uh, there was no like McDonald's. Mm. So you go over to McDonald's to order a meal and you don't know what you say. You right. just standing there and looking on the board. <laughs> All right. And the servant would be like, yes, mom, can I help you? <laughs> and you're like, oh, can I have this? You try to read the board, but you know it's not easy right. because you don't actually know what you're ordering. Right. <laughs> right. Sometimes you might end up ordering something that is not even compatible with the drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Those were situations like that, and uh, you might just say, I want French fries. Just give me French fries. So what is French fries? We're not used to having French fries right. in Ghana. Then, you know, at that time, now things have changed a lot in yeah, Ghana yeah, because of, of immigration. There's more stuff in Ghana. Right. Someone in Ghana today know, knows what French fries is. But when you first come into this country, French fries, what is that? <laughs> what about the cultural piece? So, you know, you, you're new to this country, and when you were in Ghana, the majority makeup of the country is all African. 
Africans, yeah. you know, to West Africans. And so um, most people you see have darker skin complexions. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the United States where it's not as diverse. So was that a shock for you? And what was that like navigating? It was a shock. Well, I was expecting, I, I did not think it was all going to be colored people. Right. But uh, I did not think that it was like being different so much would be an issue, right? Especially to your accent. Right. And when you speak and people like, oh, I can understand what you're saying. That's a big blow to you, right? Because, you know, you also speaking some kind of English before you came here, right? Yeah. But maybe not with the same accent. Right. So that that was a factor. You feel like you're not you're 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 being dehumanized in a way. Right. Right? Was that tough for you? That was tough. That was tough in a way. But like I've told you, I'm really a tough cookie. <laughs> I am. <laughs> that insensitivity part and my survival skills, I, w- I did what I wanted to do. Right. Because I said to myself, I'm good as I am, you know? Yeah. So it didn't matter to me. I've had issues at the job when some people might walk in, like a doctor walks in and a nurse's aide who is white skin is there and they will speak to, to, to her instead of like, I'm hello. She will say, this is the nurse there, not me. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? But there's so petty situations. I, I really don't dwell on them. I don't dwell on them. Yeah. yeah, but it's different to see having kind of, you know, being in a country, looking at watching TV and everything is so different. And back home, I'm used to seeing on the TV all us, and you feel more confident. It wasn't here, yeah, but... Right. But even, like, I guess something else I think about that could be impossible to know about when you're immigrating into the States are some of the the way the systems are in place in a way that make it difficult for Black people to survive in the country. So, you know, some of the interaction that you had with people, there may have been racist comments or discrimination that was shown. But when you think about maybe the difficulty in getting promoted at your company or within the hospital or, um, you know, maybe opportunities that weren't afforded to you as much as they would some of your other counterparts, like what was it like entering this new environment and having to experience some of those things that are relevant in the United States? that um, weren't so commonplace back in Ghana? I would say, you know, in Ghana, really, I did not do, I only worked there for like a year after my nursing school. So, and before then, I did little things like vacation, employment, internship here and there. And so that there was no opportunity there for me. There was nothing for me to measure, anything like promotion or stuff. 
instead of he, there. Because there wasn't a, a means of comparison, whatever, whatever it was like for you once you got to the States is just what you assumed it was like. Exactly. So you didn't necessarily notice that you may have been overlooked for opportunities that you qualified for. It may have just felt like, oh, this is just how it is. Yeah, yeah, in a way, yes, in a way. And also, really, in my career here, I was almost always at the clinical section. And uh, I was able to get, I was, I, w- I would say I was satisfied with what I, I got at the, at the time. Right. Being that I was able to do assistant head nurse when I was at the Jewish home. And then, then at Mary Immaculate, I was in charge of the OR. And that was quite, I think I was a little conversant right. with what I think. Uh, so really, I think there could have been more opportunity to grow if, but I also wanted to just had my work done and then come home and not having to bring some of the work home. So some of it was like personal choice of Personal your, choice, right. exactly. And so, was it a fully seamless transition for you? Like once you were here, it was okay? Or were there things that you looked at that uh, in some ways it really made you miss Ghana? Like there were things, aspects of America you did not like. I realized on the TV there were not many people of my kind on TV. Then also on commercials, sometimes I see when there were people of color on TV and they have to speak, it was like quite quick. Mm. And then it's, it transitioned really quickly that you don't see, you might just see a picture right? quickly and it flashes. So I'm looking at it, I'm saying, what is this going to do to children of color that are growing up? How is it going to affect their confidence? Because they're not seeing themselves on the TV. They are not being given the big role there on the TV. And what is and that's something that I've always been mindful about and been thinking about what my kids are feeling. Right. And what they're seeing and how it's affecting them. So that is one big, big aspect of that. Do you feel like you've observed or noticed any of those kind of those same things that you were fearful of? Uh, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that in. Um, it's not that you can't do it, but it's because of the uh, the way you've been uh, conditioned conditioned to be. So you can you fear you can do your best on right. that. An example is I think that when you were doing engineering. I can see that in you that it's not that you are not smart and you can't do engineering, but the condition in it was push, made you like push back right. on the fact that you went to school to do the engineering. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Um, I definitely think that there's like subjects I can think of within engineering that, um, that I... It's like computer programming is one of them, where mm-hmm. when I started it in the very beginning, I actually enjoyed it. I thought that it gave me the opportunity to 
I like the way there are multiple answers for a question and you can create something that, you know, someone, they could ask you for a solution and everyone in the class can come up with a completely different way to do the same exact mm-hmm. thing. And I enjoyed that about, um, about programming. But I think that I heard so much throughout my time in school. Oh, computer programming gets so difficult. It's so hard. No one does well in it, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, you couple that with, you know, racial statistics. Oh, well, there's only this many students that are African-American in technology careers, mm-hmm. et cetera. I think that those things do have an impact on, and you begin to think that, oh, maybe I can't do it. Or mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would agree. I, I definitely see, mm-hmm. um, you know, how that was a factor for me in school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. Yeah, and then I also remember one time in your high school when you said you were going to do uh, computer engineering, one of the teachers said to you, oh, no, you, I don't think you can do that. Really? Or, yeah. I don't remember they that. Said, you don't remember, right? No. Yeah, there was this one, I can't even remember the teacher's name, but the guy had told you that, oh, no, I don't think you can do computer engineering. Hmm. You don't remember that, right? No. I'd go show him my degree if I did. Yeah, though. exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's what I always had at the back of my mind. Mike should go back to that school and right. give it to them yeah. so they can see that <laughs> you are doing it and you've done it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So sometimes some of the things really conditions our black kids right. to not the fear of they can achieve the highest or wherever they can be. And it's not true. You know what I mean? Right. So sometimes they need a good backup and someone encouraging it, them and telling them, that you can do it, yeah. you can do it, you know, to give you that boost for you to keep going. So was it difficult figuring that out as a parent? Was it difficult? Yeah. It was difficult for me, yes, it was difficult. It was difficult for me to, uh, to observe that going on. And the powerless that I could, I, I don't, I'm powerless to do anything about the situation. And sometimes in my own quiet moments, I say to myself, would it have been better for me to have raised my kids in Ghana? Mm. And I, that comes up every now and then. I say maybe they would have that confidence more confidence that they feel that than they felt in this country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you get to the states, and you know you kind of get settled in into nursing, and you have your first child uh, while you're still living in New York. Yeah, we were living in New York at that time. Right. And at that time, you're still healthy, right? I was healthy. There were no issues. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, in between the time that you were in New York and the time you moved to New Jersey, uh, what were some of the things that were taking place there? When I moved to New Jersey, I was still healthy at the time. I had taken a job with uh, Robert Hood Johnson Hospital at the time. And in fact, one of the reasons why I actually moved to New Jersey 
was that um, in New York, towards the latter part of the year, because I moved here in uh, July, July, August is when we moved down here to New Jersey. I wanted to have a second child, right? That was you. And I kept on having a lot of miscarriage. Back then, I would carry to like three months and then I would lose it. How many and times was it? It was about like three good times. So at the time in New York, I was working in the OR, the operating room. And uh, it was stressful because it was a trauma center at the time right. in Mary Immaculate Hospital. And it was a lot of running around with trauma cases. So I said to myself that maybe it was time to get something to de-stress me, right? Go to a section of nursing, which I didn't have to be so going up and down with stuff and managing uh, the OR. So I decided to move to New Jersey because that was closer to, your dad could commute from here to his job at the time with Time Warner right. in New York City by just taking a bus. So New Jersey was the closest. It was between New Jersey and Connecticut. We decided to do New Jersey, right? So we moved down here. So just before I was leaving New York, like I was saying, I had few miscarriages. So I decided to uh, find something, some other specialty in nursing. Instead of doing the OR nursing, I would just do med search floor or something like that, work in the med search area. So we decided to move to New Jersey. So we came to New Jersey, got the job. Got a job before I moved to New Jersey because I had to sell my house over in New York. That took, some, it took almost like a year to do that. But the hospital was so good, they had waited for me for that long. And so I started here. And when I started here, then a year after, I got pregnant with you. So in the pregnancy, I started to have almost the same situation. Mm. I started to have a little bit of bleeding at a time. And there was a good doctor here that somebody had recommended to me. So we went a high risk doctor. I went there to see him. And he said, oh, I think I know what the situation is. So he did a little test on me, blood test. And that was, came back for positive cardiolipid. And that positive cardiolipid was, uh, he said that was the reason why I've been having all these miscarriages in the past. So he actually asked me, he put me on baby aspirin one a day. Mm. Then I came on bed rest for a little bit with your pregnancy. And then that was it. I went back to work and then everything went through until I had you. Came on maternity leave and then I think two years after that, I had all these symptoms with uh, joint pains, weakness. 
sometimes I feel so weak, it's just unbelievable. And that's when I was diagnosed with the autoimmune disease, lupus. Mm. So from then on, for 27 years now, I had been fighting this disease. That has been the big challenge for me. I, there was no time that I didn't have to be hospitalized. Like every year I was in the hospital. Do you remember the day you were diagnosed? I think that would be um, that would be the day itself. You mean? Yeah, just like what the day was like. Oh, what the day was like. So I went to my doctor's office, and I went because one time I was working at work that day. It was, I I remember if it's not the Wednesday. Uh, let's see here. I can't remember exactly what date, what day. I can't remember. I can't remember exactly what date, but the situation was like that. I had I was doing night shift at the time because I needed to be home during the day, so I'm available to do take care of you guys here. And then when your dad comes back from work, then I would go to work. At night, because we moved here, we were new in the neighborhood, and there was no babysitting around here, so I had to adjust my schedule so I can be here for you. And I was at work, and I noticed that my fingers were sort of swollen, my joints. I was just having joint pain. So I was... Kidding around with my friends, and I said, "Well, I'm getting old. I'm getting all these joint pains," and everybody was just laughing. But it got to the mid, about two a.m., three o'clock. I noticed when I took my pen to do my notes, then the pen drops. Mm. So I'm like, "Hey, wait a minute. There's something more going on seriously here." So I called my supervisor at that time. I said, "I can't work because look at my." Fingers, they were swollen, just just like that, said suddenly. And she said, oh, Frida, I think I'm going to send you home because really you are swollen. So I called your dad, left my car at the job, then he came up and picked me up. At that time, we didn't have any Uber and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I came home. Saw the doctor the following day. My doctor said, what's going on with you? We were like, she's trying to see research and see what's going on with me. Finally, she did some few blood work, came back, and she said, oh, Frida, you were like, I would think I was 30-something years old at the time. She said, you have a stressful job. You're married. You have children. And combined with this, she said, I can bet. She, she saw me and she said, I think you have a butterfly rash. And I said, what, is, what do you mean? I don't see anything on my face. She said, yes, you do. So she gave me look in the mirror. She said, look around there. I said, oh, boy. I've been so busy with my own life. I, can't even, I don't even know what's going on with my own body. Mm. So the test came back. 
that day, it was awful. I said, wait a minute here. I had learned about lupus in school, but it wasn't a big thing at the time. Nobody was talking about this because not a lot of people presented with it, period. So I asked, so where do we go from here? Okay, so you're going to have to go for treatment, see this doctor. I had to go see a rheumatologist. I remember one rheumatologist that I went to, right? This doctor didn't know what I was talking about. He said, Lupus, he took a big book and he was trying to refer it. (laughs) (laughs) I said, thank you, doc. (laughs) He he did not see me in that office again. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Wow. That was how innocent people were about the disease. But through a lot of seeing different special rheumatologists, I was able to get one good rheumatologist. He was in Robert Wood Johnson uh, Medical School. He was the breakthrough for me. He put me on prednisone. He did uh, Plaquenils. He did some other medications. And then I started to have a relief, a little relief. Because first of all, when this illness comes on you, when you get a flare-up, you get pain in all your joints, your fingers, your arms, your knee, and everywhere. Basically, you can't do anything for yourself. You can't even give yourself a shower. Mm. And uh, coming down, down the stairwell, downstairs here, what's a was was traumatic. Sometimes your, your dad has to pick me up and just bring me down here to do my daily activities and then went back. I was out of work and on disability for almost a year because I just couldn't work with that. But we went through different treatments, different, you name it, from IV medications, to chemotherapy medications, PO, and all those stuff. And during these times, like every year I was in the hospital anyway for admission on something. But thank God I would say that I got a breakthrough. I would say for the past past 10 years or maybe it's eight years, I've had a big relief because... I started on this new medication, Benlista, and that has been my savior. I was getting it IV medications before. I used to go into the clinic, the hospital clinic, like for once. I was taking it every month. I would go in for a three, um, one hour infusion. And I started, it worked well for me. A lot of people that I've spoken to have had good effects from that. Some people have not had luck like I have. And so I've been living with this, but thank God, few months, I think uh, about, uh, 18 months ago, a year and a half ago, I decided I didn't want to go to the hospital every time to get the IV infusion anymore because it was every time they had to stick me 
mm-hmm. hit that way, and sometimes it's hard to find my veins. So I spoke to my doctor about that. I said, was there a way that I could do this at home? So finally she put me on the sub-Q injections, and then that one I do it myself. I did my own injection every week. So that's what I'm living with now. Right. But I would say I've been back to work. I've been working just like nothing has happened. So it, it's a good it's it's, it's a good uh, healing for me. And throughout this journey, I have learned a lot also from my emotions all the way down to surviving, mm. surviving this illness. And I would say if I didn't have the skills I had, I would have just given up a long time ago on this. But you can tell I'm still going. Yeah. Uh, praise God. Thank God for that. So when you first got diagnosed, what was going through your mind? I know that there was a lot of physical pain, but emotionally, emotionally spiritually, was, what were you feeling? I felt bad. I felt like I've been, I said to God, why me? Mm. And then what even surprises me was they said this thing is hereditary. I'm like looking through, running down the line, my family line, nobody else have it besides me. So I said, why me? Why do I have to suffer? Was it something that, so I said, was it because I was doing nursing and maybe I was exposed more every day to different kind of uh, diseases and conditions and germs and everything else? I start to wonder. I start to, but uh, I prayed a lot too. In all these things and in all my life, I've never left God out. I'm a strong believer. I may not be going to church so many times, but I do believe it. So it has been, it's not easy with the jazzy, but the emotions of being depressed. I, I was depressed. I almost cried every day in my life due to the pain. Meanwhile, I had little children that I had to think about and raise. And I used to take you guys, I think, at the time when the thing started, you were very little. So I had my aunt here who was helping me out with you. And the time I used to take Z to uh, games after school, games and uh, programs, I couldn't do them anymore. So she was feeling it too because she was a little girl more than you. So it's been, it, 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 was, it was difficult times. It's hard. It is like the end of the world for you. I, I even thought that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't even see 50 in my life. Mm. Yeah, I did think that. If you remember when I had my 50th birthday, that was a shock to me. I didn't even know I would get that far. Because I remember I had spoken to a lady on the lupus group, 
And I asked her, and I said to her, do you think how, how long am I going to live with this condition? She said, oh, my dear, don't worry. You will live with it. She said, I've been living for, with it for 60 years. <clears throat> that gave me hope. Yeah. And look at today, 62. I'm thankful. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I'm even stronger than, than before. You know, so I think something had worked out well for me. Yeah. And I give my thanks to God in the first place and to this medication that has worked well for me. Yeah. And so as you're, when you're in that position where you're frustrated and you mentioned the fact that you, you know, still had family on your mind, but you couldn't physically do those things anymore. How did you cope with that time period? That time was very, I had my thanks, my big thanks goes to Ed, your dad. He'd been very helpful. He was doing the cooking. He was taking care of you, if you remember. I don't know, remember if you remember the times he was cooking for you. There were some of the programs that he would take Xenia to. There were things that he would take care of you. He gave you a shower. He did what he needed to do. He took care of the house because at those times I couldn't function at all. So that was my, uh, that was the biggest help. And so you guys were getting the physical help that you need from, from dad. Right. But I was home. I was home here with you. And how did you improve just your mind state? My mind state had always been, I, I prayed a lot. I did a lot of prayers. And um, the depression went on, but not to the extent that I needed a, medic, a, a pill for it or anything like that, no. There were, I was always hopeful. I was always hopeful that there was there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And I never gave up hope. And when it started feeling better with medications, I just thought it was one of those challenges in life. Right. So that's what kept me growing and that kept me going on. And in fact, the first day I saw improvement in me, I woke up one morning, I jumped out of the bed. And I said, no, is that me? No, it's not me. I went back again to bed, and I jumped out again. Right. <laughs> Your dad was just looking at me. He said, what's going on with you? <laughs> he said, I noticed you jump out of the bed this morning. I said, yes, I'm healed. Then I, I remember that Bible story when the guy... Um, was healed and they told him to go into the sea <laughs> seven times to dip into the water seven mm -hmm. times. He never believed it. He goes one, he comes out, he goes one. <laughs> he was healed. He didn't, he didn't get the patience to listen to the instructions and have faith that what Jesus had told him would work. So that morning was like that for me. Mm. And I jumped out again and there was no pain because in the mornings before this whole thing, this treatment came along, I would drag out of bed because I was in pain. 
I could not get up from bed. I'll be dragging in pain because all the joints were hurting. So that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And you had mentioned that you had learned a lot through the process. So I was curious to know what, what are maybe a, one or two things that really stick out to you as far as things you learned during that process? I learned that um, whatever your situation be, sometimes you have to give yourself a chance. You cannot lose hope. That's what I've, I learned, that even in the times of this pain, anguish, devastating, Pain, that was some pain that you could never, it's like you're having pain in the bone. That was, and you feel tired. You're out of energy. If I had lost hope then, I wouldn't have been able to survive it. Right. So that's what I learned that, and I, that hope, you should never lose hope and you should keep praying. Because in everything you do, in every part of life, there is a light at the tunnel, but you have to believe in it. So that's how I live my life. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. So as you, you think about, you know, at this point now, 62 years, and, you know, you've raised children, and you've had a successful career in the, in the States— what, you know, as you think about the idea of 99 Celsius and, you know, getting to this journey of um, whatever the end destination is or the next goal, um, you know, at this point of life, what's important to you looking forward to ensure that you're making the most of your time and the things that you enjoy to do? Yep. I'm looking to probably retire from work. Yeah. Look, I'm looking to be able to tr maybe travel around and see other countries. I would love to do that. I would love to do something. I would love to do something for myself in that, you know, all these years, something that I can sit back and relax and enjoy, and I don't think I've, I have traveled a lot. I haven't, because I've always been on the go doing something. So that's one thing I would love to do. Love to see other countries, other cultures, other people. I would like to see other African countries, if I can. Yeah. You know, just to travel around and just see our own culture. Definitely. Displayed in different ways and different uh, environment. And uh, moving is on that list too, right? Yeah, moving is on that <laughs> list. <laughs> moving is certainly on that list, possibly to move back to Ghana. I think I want one day if Mark and Z was to come there, <laughs> they can always have a place to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that's also going to be another transition for me in so many years now, right? About yeah. 30, 35, 37 years. That you've that I've been here? left. Uh, yeah, I yeah. left Ghana. That yeah. was in 1982. Yeah. So that's how many years now? Uh, 38. 
get it to 38. 38 years. Yeah. yeah. Long time to be away. But I'm going to need a go a, 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 I'm going to need go on a away party. Go away, but then I'm going to need Mark and Z to say it's okay. You can leave. Oh, I've said it. What already. do you think? You said it already. <laughs> yeah. I can go. I think you should go. <laughs> I think you should. <laughs> It'll be good for you for sure. Yeah, you're not going to miss me. I will. You but, will. Yeah, but at some point you have to live for yourself. You're and, right. You know we'll we'll be coming to visit for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one thing that is right now. In the pot, so I'll be cooking around it. Yeah. Hopefully, God will finish our journey for us. Absolutely. And then we'll be able to reach the nineteen hundred degrees. There it is. Okay. <laughs> Celsius. Okay. <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Cool. Well, thank you for uh, for coming on and and doing this and for sharing so much generously. Uh, I think that you know, the listeners definitely. I'm sure we'll walk away with lots of value, and I know I did. I know I learned a lot of of new stuff. Um, I appreciate you just being open and and doing this, even though you were nervous. I know. Did it turn out okay. Are you are you happy? <laughs> you feel good now. Are you are you feeling relaxed? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Mark, and yeah. I wish you luck. And I know you will do well with this because this is just the beginning, and you're doing well already. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Take care. All right. Bye bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ninety Nine Celsius. Again, I'm your host, Marco Quay. For updates on the pod, follow us on Instagram at Ninety Nine Celsius, all spelled out. New episodes air each and every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share the pod with others. Until next time.